apologize for the technical difficulty with the, it's really not the projector, it's a little uh, component above it that went out this morning, and we're grateful because we want that kind of thing to happen before the Miracle Crusade, not during the Miracle Crusade, so uh, we're excited uh, really about that, so I don't know why I feel like telling this right now, but I think I will. Uh, you know, there's a large budget, you know, the Dufresne, we just turned the building over to the Dufresnes, and they, you know, they have probably... I don't know, 12 to 15 of their staff member, airline tickets are high, hotels, they're, they're taking care of all of that, and uh, really, really asking nothing from us. But uh, I just had it in my heart, uh, and was, had been talking to God for some weeks about I wanted to sow something significant toward the meeting of the budget. And I, I knew, uh, without getting into details, I knew of an avenue through which it was possible that we might be able to do something significant. I was... Actually, last Sunday, uh, talking to God about it, I usually wash my truck before I come to church and, and was there wiping up the wheel and said, Now, Father, if that, if that comes in, that, that avenue, I want you to know I'm willing to give it. I'm willing to give it all to that. And uh, I went and stopped at the mailbox on the way into church, and guess where? Guess what? That it, it, it was sitting there in the mail. And uh, so I was able to call Pastor Nancy this week and already tell her, I don't know what the budget is, I didn't, didn't ask, but uh, just, just you and I, all of us together, have already been able to sow $20,000 <clears> toward, that, toward that meeting. Amen. Now I hope you're glad about that and not mad about that. Right? And... Uh, so, you know, one of the things I told her, as I said, Pastor, God's been, you know, I'm believing for our next building. And we need, a, we need to sow a big, we need to sow a more seed than that. You know, when you think about millions, 20,000 is a good start as a seed. Uh, amen. But we'd love to build this next, uh, next project debt free. And uh, so anyway, we'll get to, she said, uh, just, just, just give it when we get, so anyway, but I wanted to let you all know that we've been able to be a part on that level. And so just, uh, we now still give in the meeting, you, you, you give in the meeting, uh, but uh, all the miracles, the utterances, the ministers that'll be encouraged, imparted to, rescued, all of the fruit, we've got good seed and good soil, amen. And I don't know why I felt like telling that, but I wanted to tell it. And uh, you all be believing with me for an abundant harvest, right? I mean, even if God multiplied that 30 times, 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's 600 grand right there. Amen? All right, praise God. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, this morning to a couple of openings. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and then we're going to go to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. And uh, I have a, I, just a really kind of a singular focused point from God to get over to us today. I know we have a lot of... Uh, Family plans and spending time with mom don't, don't intend to keep you unduly today. But uh, uh, there's so much in my heart to talk about on this subject, but I, I just, every time I felt about adding to and going deeper, I just uh, had a check. So we're just going to drive, drive one nail, amen, get this one thing, and, uh, and walk in it, amen. amen? And uh, it's, it's not an unimportant matter. If I know some have been on vacation... And uh, different things, if you've been uh, un, unable to be with us the last couple of services, I've been talking about the fear of the Lord. It's not a bad subject, 
It's a wonderful subject. Amen? In Deuteronomy chapter number 5 and verse number 29, it says, Oh, God is, God is actually speaking here. This is Him. And He says, Oh, that there was such a heart in them, meaning the people, the Israelites, that they would fear Me and keep all My commandments always, that it might be well with them and their children forever. In the first lesson, I read a couple of different translations, you know, that uh, it talks about how that, oh, that they would fear me, regard me, reverence me, respect me, that I might be able to prosper them all the days of their life. I think it's the message paraphrase puts it this way, that they could have a good life forever. A good life forever. How many of you, you know, maybe the fear of the Lord is a subject uh, doesn't make you want to shout, but prospering forever makes you want to shout. Amen. Or how about the thought of you and your children? And your children living a good life forever. Well, then it's tied to a subject that you need to shout about, that you need to be interested in. Amen. God wants things to go well for you and me and for our families. His intent is that we uh, experience generational blessing. There's so much talk about generational curses. I don't even believe in generational curses for Christians. We're redeemed from the curse. Now, I recognize God works in patterns, right? He works in patterns, but, you know, God works in patterns. That's where the enemy got that. He's just an imitator. God works in patterns, and he wants to work a blessing in your life and a blessing in your children's life and a blessing in your grandkids. And then one day you're looking down on them from the grandstands of heaven and you just see your clan getting bigger and stronger and more faithful and more glorious and more prosperous in the land. That's, that's God's will. That's God's intent for us. And it is tied to, it is linked to having the fear of the Lord operating in our life. Amen. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? We're going to look at this one singular aspect of it today. But as I've already said, uh, the fear of the Lord means to stand in awe of Him. It, it means to have a, a little bit of a, of, of, a, of a real honest glimpse, if you will, of who He really is. Amen? And that there is this response coming out of our hearts of awe and regard and respect and love and admiration and, de- and uh, what's the word, devotion, yeah. amen, that comes out of us towards God. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And uh, let's go over now to Psalm 89. In Psalm 89, verse number 7, I love this verse on the fear of the Lord because it talks about the corporate setting. And when believers come together, when saints gather like we are today, and there are supposed to be characteristics of Christian gatherings when we get together. Amen? And in verse number 7 it says, God is greatly to be feared in the, the assembly of the saints. Did you see that? And to be had or to be held in reverence for all of them that are about Him. Now, uh, you know, we, we live in a day, and it's not necessarily a terrible thing, where we're not so much about titles anymore. But, uh, you know, people in the ministry are often called REV, 
R-E-V, Reverend so-and-so, Reverend Marilyn. Amen? Uh, Reverend so-and-so. Well, why, would, why is that there? Why is that attached to their name? To remind the person that, this, you know, the, the one saying it, it's not for the person. We say Reverend so-and-so. It is to remind us, amen, that they hold a place because of their call, amen, to the ministry just by the fact of their call and their willingness to pursue that call, separate themselves to that call, deal with all that that call entails. Now, you deal with whatever you deal with in your call. Bankers, they deal with stuff in their calling and, you know, police officers, soldiers, we all have our stuff to deal with in whatever call and station God gives us in life. Amen? And, uh, but it's a, it's a reminder of respect. Amen? This is why we encourage people to use and recognize people. Use the proper title if you know it. It's a way of showing deference and regard and respect. I hear people do it all the time. They'll say, uh, yeah, I was at Nancy's meeting. Listen, if you don't know, you just don't know. But I don't call her. I've known her for a long time. I don't call her that. I'd be scared to call her that. That's what is that? The fear of the Lord. Amen. Uh, praise God. You know, so I call her Pastor Nancy. At, at very least, you could call her Sister Nancy as a, as a brother or sister in Christ. Amen. Uh, don't, don't come up during the meeting. I don't want to hear any of my people come up during the meeting and say, Hey, Joel, glad you're here. Pastor may pull you aside in the back. I taught you better than that. It's Reverend Joel. Pastor Amy Siegel. Amen. And if you don't know, say brother, but meaning it, mean it, mean it respectfully. You know, we do this in the secular realm. Have you ever noticed in politics? So, for instance, our, our previous Secretary of State is a man named Mike Pompeo. He started out as a congressman. So at that time, he was Congressman Pompeo. That's what people called him and addressed him. But then when he became the Secretary of State, amen, then he was Secretary, Mr. Secretary. Well, no, notice he's, he's out of that office now. And as far as I know, he is not in political service right now at all. But when he is interviewed, everyone interviewing him addresses him as... Mr. Secretary. Why wouldn't they call him Congressman? Even though he's not in any of these offices anymore, by out of respect, they address him to the highest office he ever held. It's res there is still some elements, some salting and some peppering in our society left of honor. Really, what the fear of the Lord is, is, is all about is, is about honor. You can talk about God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. He is to be held in reverence by all those who uh, you know, are around Him. And so, you know, the, the Jewish rabbis and in Jewish culture, the scribes, as they ascribe, a Jewish scribe is someone charged with making handwritten copies of the Scriptures. And, you know, and that we, they didn't live in the day of facsimile or fax machines or di digital imaging, right? 
So to the sacredness of the text, the sacredness of the scriptures, think about the responsibility to make a copy of that. And every time they came to the name of God, they would stop. They would not write the name. They would stop. They would go and change their clothes and wash their hands and face and then come back and write the name. Then even Yahweh or Jehovah, they took ancient, they took all the vows out because they didn't consider themselves worthy enough to even write the full name. So you only get YHVH, WH. You get the abbreviation. They wouldn't even write it out. In a lot of English writings today from Orthodox Jews, when you see the word English word God, G-O-D, it's G blank with a zero, no, Z, no, no O, and then the D in honor of that tradition. Amen? Now, in, just to let you know how I am, not bragging, but this is the way I am. I'm just telling you the truth about it. I use word processing to type up my notes. And a lot of times I'll type the word God or Jesus or Christ and then want to re rethink it and have to delete that. And I always just kind of go, I'm sorry, Father. I feel bad about backspacing over the name of God. Now, you know God didn't have, it's not a big deal. But see, there needs to be something in us. God, the Bible, His ministers, church, our gatherings together, our fellowship one with another. It, it cannot be like meeting your bud at the park and eating a hot dog. It's just, it's just not that. God is to be greatly feared, greatly honored, greatly respected. And as we saw last week, we're not going there, but in Acts chapter 5, when, when there is fear in the church, regard in the church, respect in the church, respect for God and for one another and for what we're doing, amen? And we take an honorable, God-fearing, respectful approach to God. We see in Acts chapter 5 that it's tied to miracles, healing, signs, wonders, and mass salvation. I don't have time to go rehearse all that. There's two messages out there on my podcast. It's free. Catch up. Wouldn't cost you anything. Go check it out. Amen. Now go over to Proverbs today. And let's look singularly here at uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Amen. While you're going to Proverbs chapter 8, I want to read this again. It's just one paragraph. And, and what I did here is I took Psalm, Job, Psalms, no, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and I put all of the positive promises linked to the fear of the Lord. So if you have the fear of the Lord in your life, these are things that God says happen to the one who fears God. So these are good things. Amen? I didn't give you the references. You'd have to study them out for yourself. To them who fear the Lord, the Bible says, that God will show them His covenant and its secrets. His eye is ever on them, the angel of the Lord encamps around them and delivers them. There is no lack to them that fear the Lord. His salvation is near and His glory will dwell in that land. So great is His mercy to them that fear Him. He fulfills the desires of them that fear Him and He hears their cry and saves them. They are His pleasure. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. It's tied to your, your, span, your lifespan. In the fear of the Lord, you have strong confidence. They will always have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that turns one from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord leads to life, 
and those that have it will abide in satisfaction. I like that. They will not be visited with evil. By humility and the fear of the Lord come these three things. Riches, honor, and life. Riches, honor, and life is connected to you and I walking in the fear of the Lord. Now that, that piques my interest. Now he's worthy to be feared because of what he could do to you. You know, Jesus himself, he just, he just speaks out. He just says, don't fear man. Fear him who has the ability to destroy both your body and soul in hell. That's not what he wants to do. He's not doing that to me, thank God. Right? He said, if your hand offends you, you should cut it off. If your eye's a problem with you and your computer, you should pluck it out. Better to go into heaven maimed than to go into hell whole. You talk about fear of God. He is God, you know. Oh, but thank God for his love and mercy. All right, Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse number 13. Let me advance up to my notes today. So the title of my message today is Divine Deterrence. <laughs> okay. They, they don't really know what that means. You'll find out. Hallelujah. Divine Deterrence. Romans chapter, or Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 13 says this. The fear of the Lord is. Okay, so we're going to find out what it is to fear the Lord. We want all these benefits. We want all these blessings. So this is what it is to fear the Lord. One part of it. The fear of the Lord is to what? Come on, let's see if we can get some more participation. Hate, hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Then hate some more stuff. Amen? I know that typically we're not instructed to hate. And we're certainly not talking about people. This verse isn't talking about a single human being. Amen? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What else are we supposed to hate? Pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. The evil way. And King James says, the froward mouth. What does your translation say? The perverse mouth. It means a crooked or twisted speech. Speech that is crooked. It's not straight. So this would include half-truths, manipulation, uh, unclean speech, perverted speech, yeah, twisted speech, so anything wrong, amen, when we're supposed to speak what's right, so anyway, praise God, these th or do I hate, so again, so we see here this morning, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, the fear of the Lord is to hate pride, to hate being arrogant, amen, or arrogancy, and the fear of the Lord is to hate the evil way, hallelujah, and crooked or twisted speech. Hallelujah. 
So my single point here today is, is that if we are to operate in the fear of the Lord to any degree, we must have a proper biblical attitude towards sin. So, this is what I want you to think about this morning. How do you think about sin? How do you think about it? And lest and before you start thinking about your boss at work, or your co-workers, or people in your community bound in sin... Let's, let's not try to get the speck out of our brother's eye this morning. Remember what Jesus said about beams and specks? He said, why is it with this massive beam sticking out of your eye, are you trying to get the little speck out of your brother's eye? You get it, the, the analogy, Jesus? I've got a railroad tie of sin sticking out of my own life, and yet I'm over here trying to pick on one of little Karen's minor flaws. If you could find one, oh, let me help you with that. She's trying to duck the beam in your own, li- your own life. What's Jesus' point? Here's where our attention should be. Right here. So if, I, if Chris, Cody, is going to walk in the fear of the Lord, I have to hate evil in me. Evil that I participate in. I have to hate my pride. I have to be looking for and have a right biblical attitude towards any arrogance at work in me. Any behavior, the evil way I'm going to call, many translations say evil behavior. Evil behavior or evil lifestyles. So if I'm, if I'm living in such a way, um, I have a behavior that the Bible calls evil, I'm supposed to recognize that and hate that about myself. Not me, but the thing. Amen. And then I'm supposed to be paying attention to, and when, I, when something comes out of my mouth that's not right, or that's twisted, or crooked, or not fully true, not fully accurate, manipulative, anything like that, I'm supposed to hate that. Amen? Praise God. Before we move ahead, uh, let me give you some dictionary definitions of the word hate. Now, I looked up the Hebrew word for hate, and it means hate. <laughs> I didn't get a lot of help from the Hebrew. So I went to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and this is what I found. The word hate means to have an intense hostility and aversion to something or someone. An intense hostility and aversion, amen, to something. Hallelujah. Then it means to have an extreme dislike or disgust. It means to loathe. To find very distasteful. To regard with active hostility. To abhor, to despise, to detest. That's what the word hate means. Okay? Now, because I think I'm probably right, pretty sure about this, that you haven't attained Christ-like perfection yet. 
I know that's me. I'm the captain in the ship on that. I have not attained Christ-like perfection. What does that mean? There's still sin in me. Now, I know my spirit's been made right. I'm the righteousness of God. I have right standing with God. But in my thoughts, my motives all the time, my behaviors, my words, my actions, my, my deeds, I can't stand here today and tell you that I'm walking perfect in Christ-like holiness and perfection in every area. So that being the case, if I'm going to walk in this definition of the fear of the Lord, what kind of attitude do I have about my current sins? Now, what a lot of people, including me, right, what we can do is we can be quick to excuse, look past, and even justify why we're doing what we're doing. We say, well, the devil made me do it. Or you don't understand what it's like to live with them. <laughs> or that's just how I was raised. We're not going to blame mama on mama's day, are we? We can't do that. Mama made me do it. My daddy made me do it. The government made me do it. The school made me do it. My friend made me do it. No, you did it. And you're doing it. Now, I don't know about you, but again, I, I think I, I know you pretty well just as a human. You probably don't, it, it's probably not easy for you to do something you detest. That you loathe. Right? That you strongly dislike doing. Well, if we sin easily, and we know it's a sin, what does that tell us about the fear of the Lord in this definition, how we're thinking about it? It's not at work in us. We don't, a lot of, if we can do wrong easily, and we don't have any inward reaction, we are sort of comfortable, we have a treatise with this behavior, we have this understanding, we're not actively working on it, then we, are, we have taken on the antithesis, the opposite of an attitude that God has about what we're doing. How many of you know God's not asking us to think about a behavior in a way He doesn't think about it? Now, he loves us in our failure. We are secure in Him, Him being our Father. But let's be reminded, the sin we commit, He hates that. The sins we commit drove His Son to the cross where blood was shed, where His own Son in bodily form was tortured to death to make an adequate payment for the thing that you and I have done. Now, what is sin? Sin simply means to miss the mark. So, God's standard is the bullseye. And if I'm standing there and the arrow in my bow is my life, and I hit the target just outside the bullseye, I have sinned. That's what sin is. It means to miss the mark. You didn't hit the target. Hello. 
It means to transgress. It means to break a law or a command. It means to not, you know, there are sins of commission and then there are sins of omission. In other words, uh, knowing you should, but not, that is sin. Knowing you should honor God with your tithe and not, that is sin. Knowing you should be faithful in church attendance to the best of your ability and not doing it, that is sin. It's sin. Meaning, if, if, now thank God his sacrifice was once and for all. Amen. He doesn't have to go back. But under the old covenant, your sheep would have to die. Your dove would have to die every time you did that. So you take your sacrifice for your sin to the priest in your local village and you've got to slit its throat. And you've got to watch that life be poured out and that animal die to temporarily atone for your sin. And then, and then the priest calls you clean. Your sins are temporarily atoned for. And you go back to the village. You're all right with God. Then 30 minutes later, you, you lied again. Guess what? You've got to reach back into the chicken coop and grab another life and come and slit his throat again. See, all of this Old Testament type and shadow is to try to keep in front of His people the horrific cost to sin, to disobedience, to failing to miss the target. And we all do. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. All right? Thank God for the blood of Jesus that continually washes and cleanses us from our sin. But that wonderful fact of God's flowing blood and His grace and mercy should not let us get buddy-buddy in our attitude toward the very thing that brought Jesus to the cross. What am I saying? God is dealing with all of us all the time about something. Right? Thank God, aren't you glad he doesn't put the whole plate, the whole, here's everything wrong with you. If you fixed all of this, you'd be just like my son. I, I mean, it would be a sky, in my life, it'd be a skyscraper type list. But thank God, what he does is he says, here's three things. Get this, I want this changed. I want this changed. I want this attitude changed. I want this behavior changed. I want this thinking changed. I want, I want this way of looking changed. What you're doing with your eyes, I want that changed. And he, he'll help you and wants to work with you and give you time to get that. And if you get that done, he'll go, good job. Now, I'd like to point out this, this, and this. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on and on and on. But all that is, it's, it's the wonderful process of discipleship and growing into spiritual maturity. And like I told the mentoring class, uh, what is the entire ultimate aim of being a Christian? I heard some good answers. It is to become like Him. That's the whole thing. The whole thing is for you to learn to become like Him. And in order for that to happen, you know what has to be happening, Sister Debbie, all the time? Change. One of the evidences that we have the fear of the Lord operating in our life is change. Is there anything, rhetorical question means don't answer. Is there anything that you can point to so far this year that you've changed with God's help? 
Now, I can verify that in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, but see, so many Christians attain a certain level, and then they just peter out. They put their cruise control on. They say, well, when I look around at other Christians, I'm doing better than them. So, no, my honey, they're not the standard. When you put the mirror of the Lord Jesus Christ in front of you, you, you don't look done yet. You look more done than the sinner who just got saved yesterday at church, but come on, you are not there yet. I am not there yet. If I fear God, I recognize I am not there yet, but I am in hot pursuit of transformation and growth and change. I am not okay staying this way. I'm not okay staying at the current level I am in prayer, my level of commitment, my level of holiness, my level of righteousness, my giving level, my mind level, my capacity for God to be able to use me. I am not okay staying where I am. Hallelujah. And so God has put in place this wonderful thing called the fear of the Lord. And it acts as divine deterrence. Now, do you know what deterrence is? You know that term, right? So, uh, a lot of times when dealing with national security and threats to America and, uh, you know, enemy nations out there, we feel like we've got to have a deterrence. In other words, we've got to build a bigger and faster missile. And we've got to put a neon paint job on it and, and say, this is for you, baby. Meaning, if you think about doing this to us, just know this is ready to fire. When Russia invaded Ukraine, one of the big criticisms, I'm not here to get political with you, but one of the big criticisms is, is that the administration and uh, our nation didn't do enough ahead of time to put out enough deterrence out there to get Putin to back off. We were scared of hurting his feelings or whatever. But now him having done it, what do you see? You see, what is it, the 82nd Airborne? And you, you see uh, multiple troop deployments and NATO standing up. And you got millions and, and now we're doing military exercises in Poland and in Eastern Europe. And we are letting everybody know, right, that you don't go past this border. It's a deterrent. Why do I have a loaded shotgun at a designated location in my office? Well, I just said my office. I'm going to have to change it now. Amen. I got it there. They may not know, but they don't know. The robber, the thief, the one who wants to come, knocking in the middle of the night. I have some deterrence. Hello. And so, are, is, is God got a missile aimed at me? No. No. Amen. But see, if your heart is tender and right towards God, this is enough deterrence. The thought of you displeasing Him. That ought to bother you. I said, that ought to bother you. There are two... You know, two, not only two, but there, there are two great forces in my life that keep my life on track. Number one is my love for Him. That keeps my life on track. But number two, it is my fear of Him. And both are positive. 
if, if they deter my flesh from clicking on something that I shouldn't click on, because I know my Father, nobody else may be looking at me right now, but my Father's watching me. And I don't want to displease Him. From, from that kind of thing all the way to, you know what, I, 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 I'm not going to be lazy in my sermon preparation. I'm not just going to go pull out some old notes because I've been busy and it's nice outside and I want to do what everybody else is doing. I want to go play outside. He's watching me. And you might never know, probably wouldn't, that I pulled out some old crusty notes from 25 years ago to preach to you. But my father would know and I would know that I didn't give my best to the people he called me to serve. So it deters my flesh. It's a curb against sin and disobedience. And we need to let the fear of God be that in our life. Our love for Him compels me to go to church when I don't feel like it. It compels me to walk in love in my community when I want to slap somebody. I, I keep that peace of mind instead of giving it away because I know it would please God to do so. The fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? To hate evil. To hate evil. We hate sin. We do not hate people. People are not our enemy. Amen? You know, really, even the devil is a lesser problem. Jesus has already defeated the devil. You know, if no one on planet earth listened to the devil, if no one on the earth yielded to the devil, there wouldn't be any racism. There wouldn't be any oppression of the poor. There wouldn't be any strife. There, there, there wouldn't be any murder, theft, crime, adultery, divorce. There wouldn't be any of it. And you and I, especially as Christians, we don't have to yield to the devil. But people have sinned and seemingly got away with it for so long. They wink at it instead of shrinking from it. Demonstrating a lack of regard. A lack of the fear of God in their life. So, winding up here. Our attitude towards sin is a measuring rod on the current level of the fear of the Lord you're operating in. It, it, it's the way to take your own temperature in this. Are you shocked at sin or are you numb to it? Amen? Are you accommodating toward your own sin? Now, no, not just the things we do wrong. How about, again, the things you know you ought to be doing but you're not? Those are just as big if not bigger sometimes. We know we ought to pray but we don't pray. Amen? All of the things that we could mention. Number three, do we sorrow and have inward conviction when we miss it? What happens in you when you cuss? 
if you stub your toe in the middle of the night and we find out that you're not completely holy yet. <laughs> I, I, we all have these moments if you're spiritually growing. There would have been you know, a time in my life, even as a Christian, where I stub my toe in the middle of the night on the coffee table and bleepity bleep 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 comes out. But, you know, the next time, you know, some years later, you do the same thing and you go, glory to God, that hurt. Well, that's a lot better than the blankety, 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 blank, right? I like telling this, we ended a service and uh, having some special meetings and my family went to a certain restaurant here in town and the Spirit tried to warn us, but we overrode him. And uh, because he was trying to keep my wife rescued, but we overrode that in her check and she went into the bathroom where they had a greasy greasy wet floor and uh, she was in her high heel and snap broke her ankle so in three places very painful and uh, so anyway we're there at uh, Baptist and they've got her in a room and they've got her not out but out of it with medication and they and they got a, a guy in the on the other side of the curtain next to her dealing with whatever he's dealing with some major injury and they're going to deal with him first, whatever they're going to have to do. So there's like an army of nurses in there holding this guy down to do whatever they're going to do to him, incubating whatever they're going to do. And, I mean, it was like Ph.D.-level cussing. I mean, it was like, wow, like, like man. And, I mean, he just went after it. I mean, like, like I've never heard anybody cuss like that. It's like he had the gold ribbon for cussing, you know. It was like, whoa. And then they come in, and they, they have dealt, dealt with him, and then... My wife is there, and I'm in there, and uh, they're about to set her foot. And there's like five or six of them in there. And three or four of them are just there. They're only one going to set the ankle. The rest are there to hold her down. And, and they're kind of talking to her, and uh, she just goes off on shout to the Lord. I don't know what she's saying, but I mean, she was just singing a praise and worship song. I mean, she just... Thought she was still on the stage in church. She was giving glow, just glory to God, just praising God. And I mean, those nurses thought it was the cutest, sweetest thing, especially after dealing with what they just dealt with, right? And they were just like, sing on, you know, and sing on, sister. But here's my point. See, in moments like that, people find out what you're full of. They find out what you're full of. We knew what this guy was full of. Listen, we all miss it. But we, there ought to be this inward, oh, sorrow and godly sorrow and conviction on the inside when we are disobeying and being rebellious and doing what we know is wrong or not doing what we know is right. Yeah. And if you're not bothered on the inside, I'm just telling you, I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm, I'm saying there's a hardness and a callousness that has covered your spirit that you need to get softened. You, you need to ask God to tenderize your heart again. Amen? Because it's a, it's a wonderful thing when we feel that way on the inside, we recognize that we missed it because it will... It will it will motivate us to get to the feet of Jesus to ask Him to forgive us. Amen. That's right. See, and then it's over. A lot of people are not blessed because they're living in un with unforgiven sin 
in their life. They're going to heaven, but their fellowship with God is broken. If they would just go to God and say, Father, I sinned, I ask you to forgive me. But a lot of, the, a lot of times they don't even see it anymore because there's this lack of inward yep. conviction. Now, we know we're doing something right in the church because years ago I heard this testimony. We had a young lady leave the church and went to some other church. And that's fine. We're not the only church to go to. But uh, through the grapevine, you know it's a small community. And I'm going to hear back. God is going to tell off on you. And so this, uh, this particular young girl, uh, well, someone just, I wasn't sniffing out or asking, but they came and just put it out there and said, well, I heard her say, Pastor Chris, that the reason she's going to this other church, she, she said, I just can't go to WHC anymore. I'm too convicted when I go there. And this is, this is a two-sided coin. Think about this real quick. So she is attending church, but she found a church where she doesn't feel that. There's no demand or challenge on her character, on her behavior, on her lifestyle, on her wrongdoing. So she still gets to be religious, but she doesn't have to be bothered with this challenge to change. So it's a good on us, and it's a bad on that other church. I don't know what church it is. I don't care. But, I mean, that's bad when you can come to church Sunday after Sunday and not be convicted. And there's something wrong with the mentality that says, this is the church I want to go to over here. I want to change. I want to be right. I want to get better. I want to please God. So that was another thing, number four here. Are we slow to change? If we're slow to change the evil about us, then we don't fear God because we don't hate it. <laughs> Maybe you even like it. That would be really bad. Amen? Number five, have we become deceived in actually thinking that God calls this acceptable? Have we reasoned ourselves into a lie that God's okay with this? You know, if you think that there is such a thing as a practicing homosexual Christian, it's not a thing. Give me scripture and I'll change, but there, that, that's not a thing. The practicing homosexual at death will go to the same place as the practicing heterosexual adulterer, fornicator, drunk, reveler, liar. They will all go to hell. Pastor, that sounds hard. Yeah, it sounds hard because of the lies you hear out in the world. That's why it sounds, you know, I was called on Facebook homophobic not too long ago uh, because I spoke up about this transgenderism danger on people. He called me scared of trans, I'm transphobic. No, I love the confused. It's different. Anyway, but see, if you've begun to call evil good to justify the evil, you better unwind that. Number six is, and we're talking about how do I measure how I'm doing in my hatred of evil, how do we live when no one is watching? How are we living? What are we doing? How are we talking when no one is watching? Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise See, I...
I think I might be done here, but uh, the fear of God is to hate evil, to loathe it, to despise it. Amen. Let me quote to you as my last scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 in the Amplified. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Paul says, abstain from evil. Shrink from it. Keep aloof from it in whatever form or whatever kind it may be. Many other translations render that avoid the very appearance of evil. Even if it looks like it, we're instructed to avoid it. So I don't go to the wine and spirit store to buy spirits. I've got the only spirit I want. But I don't go in there even to buy cooking sherry for my wife's Italian spaghetti sauce and carry that out with good intentions in a paper bag and Brother Billy Graham driving by sees me walk out and the devil tells him, Pastor's on the whiskey. He's got a fifth of whiskey in the bag. I'm not going to that church anymore. But I wasn't. I wasn't. How did it look? How does it look when you're standing in line going to that movie? Going to that place? Going to that party? Drinking that beverage? Well, I have technically, I have a scripture, I can drink that. How does it look to other people? Well, I have a biblical right to do it. If you want to kill your Christian witness, go ahead. Amen. No, we should have a high standard. Amen? We should hate all that is evil. Amen? Hate it. I hate racism. I hate crime. I hate theft. I hate, right? I hate a lot of things. And I don't do them. Because I hate them. I love people tripped up in these sins. But we got to think right about these things. Amen? Amen. Did you get anything out of that today? Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Father, we love you.